I'll ask you to turn in your copies of God's Word or maybe on your phone to Philippians chapter 2. We've been going through this little mini-series here around Christmas called The Gospel According to Christmas Carols. A couple of weeks ago, we, we considered that line in one of the songs that we sing that says, Ransom Captive Israel. And what does Israel have to do with the gospel? And how does the, the picture of the Old Testament people being ransomed point toward the ransom that Christ has paid for us? The Old Testament is just a, is a book of shadows, and we see these, these pictures in the Old Testament of the people of Israel coming full in the New Testament. When we see the, the people crossing over the river and, and escaping from their enemies, uh, the, the Egyptians, we see us, how God has done a miracle to part the waters, to bring us through safely, and then He crushes our ultimate enemy, sin. And, and redeems us. All of these pictures in the Old Testament just point toward what Christ has done for us. We remembered last week that, that Christ has come to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. And the curse of Genesis chapter 3 of sin entering the world, it has affected our lives in certain ways. Wherever the curse has shown up in your life, Christ has come so that that curse could be reversed. In part now, in this life, in this world, and, and for all of the things that will not ultimately be fixed here and now, God has promised that He will fix there and then when we are with Him again in heaven. Today, we're looking at how Jesus did all this. It says in the song that we just sang this morning, and hark the herald angels sing, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. What does it mean that Christ laid his glory by? That mildly he laid his glory by, born that man no more may die. We see in Christ a, a picture of an unexpected Savior, who, who accomplished salvation in some very unexpected ways. He didn't come with, with might and with power as a, as a political ruler or some kind of military king, perhaps, as the people expected. He came not on a horse, but on a donkey. Mild, he laid his glory by. He came as a humble servant. But by becoming that humble servant, by taking on flesh, by condescending, by coming out of heaven and, and living among us dirty sinners, by, by His humbling Himself, He accomplished everything that we needed for our salvation. I wonder, have you ever considered how we are always attracted to the stories of the unexpected, right? We love to see the underdog win a huge upset. When I was in high school, our little college up the road at Appalachian State University up in Boone, it was like the last four years of my high school, um, they won an incredible upset against Michigan, right? It was like at, at, at the last few seconds, they blocked, uh, they, they blocked um, a, uh, a PAT attempt and then returned all the way down the field for a touchdown. 
I think it's still considered one of these like college football, you know, top 10 upsets, right? The, the, the very next, that was on a Saturday, on Monday morning, there were kids at my high school with shirts on that said, Michigan who, right? It was just that the town was alive with excitement. Uh, there's, a, there's a song called Where I Come From by Montgomery Gentry, and they talk about the unexpected, in a, a line in this song, it says, That old man right there in the rocking chair at the courthouse square, I'll tell you now, he could buy your fancy car with $100 bills. Don't let those faded overalls fool you. He made his millions without one day's schooling. Right, we, we love to hear stories about the unexpected, about the, the old man that just wears these old faded overalls, but he's a millionaire, and nobody knows it except the people who know him. I found that in my many years of marriage to Whitney, or, or my years of marriage, I don't know if we call it many yet, but um, my father-in-law, Whitney's dad, loves to tell stories about the unexpected, about all of his years working at the factory, and how the machine operator... Uh, who had a high school education, was able to solve a problem in 15 minutes that the Georgia Tech-trained engineer couldn't solve in two weeks. He loves to tell those stories. There are all kinds of stories about the unexpected that occur on these Hallmark Christmas movies, right? I mean, God bless the, 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 the clean-shaven guy who always makes good decisions, right? He always loses. He never gets the girl, right? The guy who's done everything right. But the, like the unemployed lumberjack... Right? who understands how she feels, that's the guy that always ends up with the girl. We love these stories about the unexpected. Why is that? When we see the story of Jesus, we see a, a, a man who came in an unexpected way and did an unexpected work so that we could be made right. He was the unexpected victor. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Let's look in Philippians chapter 2 uh, at, this, at this text of Scripture that talks about what kind of Savior was Jesus. What kind of Savior was Jesus? We'll begin in verse 5, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, you have access to this. This is not impossible. Have this mind among yourselves, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or, or seized, right? But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, what did he do? He, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Philippians 2 begins, way back at verse 1, or verse 1 and 2, it says, 
all the way through through where we just picked up, it says, count others more significant than yourselves. But the example for how we are to do this highlights Christ and, and what He came to do in order to save us. Christ is our great example. He's our model of humility. It says, have this mind among yourselves. So we, we learn this is a frame of mind that we can have. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus had the rights to all the privileges of God because he was God. He was fully God and fully man, but he didn't take advantage of all these privileges. He laid some of them aside. He didn't lay his godhood aside, but he laid some of these privileges aside in humility in order to accomplish a greater task. Often you'll hear me say things like, like this, and it's not just a it's not just a recitation. It's not just a empty words. You'll hear me say that Jesus lived the perfect life that we did not live and then died the death that we deserved. Why was it necessary for Jesus to live perfectly for 30 years? I mean, couldn't God have just kind of zapped him down to earth at age 33, sent him up to the cross, paid for the sins, and be like, okay, the job is done? I mean, God is capable of doing that, right? I mean, he, he, can, he can do that. But Jesus didn't do that. He walked through all of the trials and all of the, the temptations, the Bible says, and all of the, the cramping restrictions of human life, and he did it perfectly before going to the cross. And the reason is because Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam that we read about in Genesis, was our representative. He was our representative. He was a representative for all of humanity. And what did he do? He failed. And so his sin passes through to all of the other generations after him, almost like a disease. And we inherit that disease from our first father, Adam. The first Adam failed. We needed a second Adam to come and to succeed everywhere that the first Adam failed. It says this, that Jesus was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Isn't that exactly what Adam and Eve did? They wanted to be like God. They wanted to seize something that was not theirs. And because of their sin, we live in a world that is now broken, a world that has cancer, a world that has disease, a world that has tornadoes and all of these things. Because sin has stepped into creation. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, came, and even though he could have taken it, he in humility did not take up all the privileges that belonged to him as God. He laid them aside. Mild he lays his glory by, so that he could live a life born that man no more may die. The first Adam failed, but the second Adam, Jesus Christ, succeeded. And friends, I would say this. If the gospel is more important than our own agendas and our own reputations and our own desires, then we too will lay aside our glory. We will lay aside our comfort. 
We will lay aside our desires. We will lay aside our opinions and our prerogatives in order to see the kingdom of God advanced. The mission that Jesus came was more important than the things that maybe he, he, could, have, he could have reached for. But we too need to follow in his example. He made himself nothing and he took on the form of a servant. Friends, I would say this to you, believers, Christians. Churches and families and individuals that make themselves nothing, right? They will be strangely attractive in this world. They'll be so different. I mean, you, you won't find many books on how to advance your career that tell you to lay aside something. Instead, they will tell you to seize what you can, right? Believers, Christians who, who, who are willing to lay aside their glory will be strangely attractive. And they will point to a gospel that is attractive. Whenever I have the opportunity, as I did recently, to, to share this vision while I'm officiating a, a wedding ceremony, I try to set forth this, this vision of what leadership is and, and even what, what manhood is. There's, there's a vision of a husband and a wife given to us in Ephesians chapter 5 that perhaps sometime if I go through a series on, on marriage, we'll, we'll, we'll do that as a church. But there's this vision of how, yes, it is true that God has charged men Husbands to lead in their households as they picture Christ and the church. This is the vision of Ephesians 5 and Colossians uh, and, and the, the sister passage in Colossians. But men are to do this. Husbands, let me just say a word to you. You're to do this not as a king on a throne, but as a servant with a towel. All real leadership, all real manhood is found not in voicing bold opinions or in protein shakes or UFC fights or loud trucks or, or domineering over a cowering wife or always getting your way and the rest of your family is left to kind of play catch up. Instead, all true leadership is this, humble service, laying aside our glory so that we can love others more than we love ourselves. And I would say that's a vision for you, whether you're married or not. All true leadership follows in the path of Christ as he demonstrated his leadership and his love for us by laying aside his glory. The one that we follow, Jesus Christ, was willing to make himself nothing. But by making himself nothing, he had real power. And he accomplished salvation. This means that, that we do things like give ourselves to prayer. Doesn't prayer seem so stinking inefficient, right? It's, it, we talk about prayer like, well, well, there's nothing I have to do. There's nothing left that I can do but pray, right? But the reality is this. If God is the one who is ultimately in control, and if God is the only one who can really accomplish anything spiritually good, then we will give ourselves to, to getting down on our knees and asking him to do the work that we know we can't. That's what it looks like to, to lay our glory aside and to trust in, in him instead. 
It means that we can lay down our weapons as well. This is another application. We don't have to always be right. We don't have to always be vindicated because we follow a God who when he was reviled and chastised, he, he turned the other cheek. Why? Because he knows that there is a kingdom that is coming that is better than the here and now. And everything will be made right in that kingdom. So I would say to you, if you are the target of gossip, don't defend yourself. You don't have to, you don't have to, I don't know, be vindicated here and now. If you're misunderstood, victory is not always found in everyone seeing things your way. Jesus was willing to endure being misunderstood and to go all the way to the cross with that. You can rest knowing that God knows. Jesus was the ultimate, unexpected Savior. He didn't. He was not what the people expected. He did not act like they expected. And the kingdom that he brought was not what the people were thinking it would be. But as it turned out, who he was and the kingdom that he brought was exactly what we needed. Secondly, Jesus uh, didn't only lay his glory by in order to model for us humility. He also laid his glory by to pay what we owed says this in Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to ask you if you would to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus laid his glory by in order to pay what we owed. says this in Hebrews 2 verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering and death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Isn't that interesting? In Hebrews, it says that Jesus was crowned with glory because he suffered. When those people twisted that crown of thorns and put it on his head, they thought that they were getting the last joke on him. But the crown that he was going to receive was was a crown of glory because of his suffering. All they did was add to his glory by adding to his suffering. It says in verse 10, For it was fitting. Isn't that a strange word? It was fitting, or it was appropriate, or it was right that he, for whom and by whom all things ex exist. In other words, he was the very creator of the world. He stepped into that world. For whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. In other words, friends, there is no crown without a cross. There is no salvation for you or for me apart from the suffering of Jesus. This isn't just a, a little ritual that, that, that God had to go through. This is what was necessary to make us right. It's a mystery. We don't understand everything about it, but the scriptures say that the way that we would be made right is through the suffering of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them us. He's not ashamed to call us brothers, sisters. He's not ashamed to call us that because he paid 
what we owed. Do you see this? You see the love of God in this? It was fitting that Christ endured suffering. You know what, you know what Isaiah even says? It says something even more shocking. Isaiah 53 says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief. Friends, God loved us so much that he sent his son, and it was his will, it was the will of God to crush his son for us. Just like the rose that you crush and it puts off a, just a beautiful fragrance. God crushed his son so that we could be made right. We see here that the whole Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all working together to make us right. The Father chooses us in Christ, Ephesians 1, 1 Peter 1. The Son pays the debt for his sheep, John chapter 10. And the Holy Spirit does the work of opening our eyes so that we may believe, Titus 3. All three persons of the Trinity work in perfect harmony to bring us back to God. Has this work happened in your heart? I pray that it has. Through Christ's act of humility, coming to earth, suffering and dying, we are set free. And this is seen most vividly at the cross. What could be weaker than dying? That is the weakest act anyone can do, right? That's the ultimate weakness when our bodies completely give up. But through that weakness, Christ accomplished everything that we need. Hebrews 2, it says this, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. In other words, he had to come to earth. He had to take on human flesh. He had to walk. He had to be tempted. He had to do it all perfectly so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Jesus had to do it to make, it says, propitiation, payment, atonement, covering for the sins of his people. Hebrews 2 says this, How should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The answer to this question is that there is no escape. There is no other goodness that qualifies us. There is no other payment that makes us right. And friends, even in the South, people who eat, you know, cherry pie and American, you know, American through and through, and I'm, I'm a Christian, you know, flying the flag and all this stuff, you go to funerals. You go to funerals. And you hear people who, you know, got the, got the cross on their Facebook page and, you know, the cross around their neck, and you hear people say such anti-gospel things like, oh, I know she's in heaven. She sure was a good one. Friends, if she's in heaven, it's not because of her goodness. Oh, he was a good old boy. I know he's going to make it. Friends, we are not saved. We are not made right because we are a good old boy. Our only hope of ever entering the presence of God is the goodness of someone else who was perfect on our behalf because we failed just like the first Adam. We need the second Adam and his righteousness so that when God looks down out of heaven and he sees everything that's in us, he does not see our good works because our good works are nothing but filthy rags. Instead, he looks on us and he sees the perfect work of the second Adam, Jesus Christ.
who succeeded everywhere, everywhere that the first Adam failed. Friends, that is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus. Not that we are good, but that he was. And thirdly, Jesus came. Jesus laid his glory by to remind us that he is coming again. He laid his glory by to take it up again. In other words, Jesus' first coming is not the final word. It says this in Revelation 19. I'll just read this. I would ask you just to listen to it. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Wait a second. The first time Jesus came, he laid his glory by. And he rode in on a donkey, right? That's like a joke. That's got to be a joke. A king coming into his own city on a donkey? But he's going to come back. And the next time he comes, friends, the donkey is going to stay tied up. And he will come in on a horse this second time. Jesus came the first time as a down payment to remind us that he is coming a second time. He laid his glory by only to take it up again. It says, His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which it is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him in white horses, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury and the wrath of the God of the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The first time Christ came, he didn't come on a horse. He didn't come with a sword. But the second time that he comes, he will. The first time... He was overlooked for most of his life. He was misunderstood in his ministry. He was rejected by men and spat upon. He wore a crown of thorns. But the next time that he comes, he will have an army, but he will need no army because the sword that is coming out of his mouth, it says, is powerful enough to strike the nations. Friends, have you been made at peace with this warrior God? with this man, Jesus Christ. Because right now, we are still living under that first picture of him. That first picture of him is lowly and gentle on a donkey. He wants to make peace with you. He wants to set his world right. And he will. And he will. Today, if you have not, would you, would you turn from your way of life? What prevents you? from running to this loving king who is willing to take up your punishment and take it to the cross and pour out his blood so that you could be spared. Do you see the love of God poured out for you? What prevents you from turning to him today? Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Christian, I would ask you, how can you lay your glory by in order to point others toward Jesus? 
How can, we follow, how can you follow in the example of Christ to lay aside your glory and your privileges and your rights in order to share the gospel with someone else? I don't know about you, but when I think about my heart, so many of the times that I do not share the gospel of Jesus with someone, it's because of pride. It's because I don't want to subject myself to the possibility that I might be rejected. So, I hold on to my glory and I don't share the gospel. Instead, let me challenge you in this year, as we are about to enter into a new year, let this be the year that you share the gospel at least with one person. Lay your glory by. Don't worry about what they might say. Don't worry about how they might gossip. Don't worry about the reputation you might get in the office. Instead, lay your glory by so that you might point someone else to Christ. And I will say this for the one who might be in the room today who is not in Christ. When God looks out of heaven, he still looks and he sees you by yourself. You're not clothed in the, in the, in the, in the white robes of Jesus and what he earned for you. Can I just point you one more time to the tender heart of Christ for you, how he loves you. He loved you so much he didn't simply die for you. Before that, he lived for you. He succeeded everywhere where you and I failed. And he offers to give you that goodness that he earned in his 33 years of perfect life and to take your badness, everything that you've earned in your 27 or 45 or 72 years of life. He did everything that was necessary to make you and me right. And the question that remains for you is will you lay your glory by to receive what he has done for you? I pray that you do that today. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the great uh, ability, the great privilege that we have to come and gather as the church to look at your scriptures during this time of, of Advent and Christmas I thank you that, that in the Bible, in the gospel, you show us a picture not just of a God who is willing to go through some, some rituals and, and motions in order to, I don't know, to create a religion, but instead you came as a person. You suffered. You, you succeeded where we failed. And you offer your goodness to us. You offer to take our badness and to take it on the cross Lord, who are we? Why, why do we deserve this? We can't answer this question, but we see that it's good. We see that it's good and beautiful. Lord, I pray that, if, that, that, that for, the, for the Christians in the room, for the believers, those who have passed from death to life, those who have repented of their sins, who've turned away from their way of life and turned to your way of life, I pray that we would consider, that we would do some hard thinking in these next few moments as we sing this song, that we would not simply just mouth the words, but that we would really think in our hearts, how can I lay my glory aside in order to show someone else the glory of Jesus? And Lord, for the one in the room who might recognize today, I'm outside of Christ. I, you know, I, maybe I thought that at one time I thought I was saved. You know, I, I went through a baptistry and I got wet and stuff like that. And, but I, I realize I have never really turned my life over to Christ. But I pray that they would come and speak with me today and that they would they would ask, how can I do this? How can I, how can I begin a relationship with Jesus today, this man who laid his glory by? And I pray that they would lay their glory by as well. Give us the grace to lay our glory by as we follow in the example of Jesus. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.